We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 68, the Field of 68's Bracketology Show. I am your host, Kai McEwen from Three Man Weave. And with me are two of the best bracketologists in all of the United States of America. We have Lucas Harkins. We have Brad Wachtell. I'm excited to break down the bracket with you guys as it stands today on January 30th. A reminder to folks out there, a lot of resumes are going to be shifting around in the coming weeks here. This bracket's not even close to being finished yet, but still fun to think about what it could look like, Lucas. Uh, fun to see which teams are in and out right now and what your team, if you're a fan of a bubble team, for instance, has to play for in the next uh, few weeks here. So, Lucas, I'm going to go to you really quick for a question. Strength of the bubble. I haven't heard a lot of people say weakest bubble ever quite yet. Is it still to come? Are people going to talk about it? What do you think? Well, it's always going to come, for one. Mm-hmm. There's no avoiding it. It's a, it's in a yearly tradition. Now, with regards to this year in particular, I'm not sure we'll hear it as much as normal because I think there's enough of there's enough teams in the middle of the pack in like the six to nine seed range that also have pretty bad losses this year that it's kind of kind of just feel like we might hear worst tournament field ever, but I don't necessarily see, and I'm not sure we'll hear worst field. I think this year we're seeing like I mean even TCU, Iowa, Boise State, all teams that are kind of in pretty good shape right now all have a quad four loss um i feel like there's a lot clemson has two of them like there's a lot of teams that are kind of in that have more but there's more bad losses in the net top 60 this year than there are traditionally at this point in the season Um, and i think we'll we'll hear less about how bad the bubble is and more just like wow there's a lot of uh pretty bad losses across the table brad do you agree i do agree um you know, also with the bubble, as as it is almost every single year, in the span of one to two weeks, a team could go from not even being mentioned to yep. suddenly in the field. Um, I take a look at a team like Virginia Tech right now, who got off to a terrible start in conference play. They're at full strength right now. They're starting to win some games. Um, I think they're a team that could have, you know, after a, a good week or two, they could sneak right back into the field. Um, so I think it's, even though I think it's, uh, a little bit stronger than in past years at the current moment. Mm-hmm. Like Lucas said, I think it's going to end up to the point where it's going to be like, yeah, uh, weakest bubble ever. I, I asked this last year, but nobody remembers because it's, it's been a year. But I always like to get bracketologist's opinion on this. What, if anything, I'll go to Lucas first, is the number one most important thing to you on a team's resume? I know it's the whole enchilada, but if there's anything that sticks out to you, what do you gravitate towards uh, firstly, when you look at a sheet, it kind of depends where I'm looking in the field. Mm-hmm. I think more than anything, I think that the the more at the top of the field, if you're looking at one, two, three seeds, I'm looking at quadrant one record. 
um, more than anything else, see if they get a quad one, a, uh, the further down you go, the more I emphasize, um, what your resume looks like, your, your true resume rankings over necessarily your quality rankings. That's more emphasis on a KPI or strength of record. Um, and putting a little bit more emphasis on road wins um, and wins over the field, those become a little bit more prevalent the further down I go. But really, the first thing you look at is record. Comes down to same it, you got to win. You got to win games. Yeah. Same with you, Brad. Yeah, similar to what Lucas said. Uh, it depends which part of the bracket you're looking at. You know, if you're looking at the bubble, you know, you might be paying attention a little more to if you know who's in the field. You know, their predictive metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember last year, a team like Rutgers who ended up with eight wins against the field, but their metrics were in the seventies. They were in the first four games. So it's something to take a look at uh, with a lot of the teams there. When you look at a little bit closer to the top part of the bracket and the one seeds, for me, I think it's, you want to be a one seed. Who have you beaten? Who is your best win? Um, Along with everything else, along with how how you are against high quadrant one teams, quadrant one and quadrant one and two, it is, it isn't one particular thing that stands out, um, but there needs to be a lot of something and there needs to be something that sticks out from the other teams to prove your worth as a one seed. I hear a lot of people talk about wins against the field and certainly important, but that doesn't show up on a team sheet, does it? Or am I just mistaken? Does it actually, is it actually something the committee looks at? Do you think wins against the field? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's something that they take into into account. I don't think it's, necessarily wins against the field per se because i think that that kind of has a hard cut line that i'm not sure is altogether fair mm-hmm. um like is it really a much better win to beat a team at home who's your last four team in versus yeah. beating a team on the road that's the first four team out i think there's there's definitely more nuance to it than that but i think that beating teams that are of tournament quality has value fair enough fair enough all right enough of the intro guys i've bored people long enough i want to get into the nitty-gritty i want to talk about the team's Currently in the field and also the team, the teams at the top of the bracket right now. Let's start with the one seeds. I'm going to Lucas first here. Give me your one seeds as of today, January 30th. So for me, I've gone with Purdue and Alabama have been on my one line for a while. They stay there. Um, I moved Tennessee up to the one line this weekend um, after another good win. Um, they're up to number one on Ken Bomb. They're, they're across the board, have tremendously good quality metrics, and that gives them my edge right now. Um, they're second in BPI, they're first in Kenpom, first in Sagarin. Um, they don't necessarily have the quantity of quality wins that a team like UCLA or Kansas has, um, or Arizona for that matter, um, who I had as a one seed last week was Arizona. Um, I think the Tennessee, it's just historical data just says, seems to suggest they're number two in the net and 1.3 in average against, across quality metrics. That's a team that probably gets a one seed. Um, and Houston is in a similar boat. Number one in the net, 1.7 across quality metrics. They're nine and one in quadrants one and two. Um, I think that that's another team that's there. But I think there, you could make an argument for probably seven teams right now to be on the one line today. All right, Brad, let's get your one seed list here. What do you got? Yeah, so I have three out of the four same one seeds as Lucas. Um, my one difference is I have Arizona. Uh, reason why I have Arizona over Houston is number one, uh, they're five and zero against high quadrant one teams. Mm-hmm. The only other team that can say that in the country is Purdue, who is the number one overall seed. Uh, I believe that their wins over Tennessee, who is a fellow one seed, and UCLA, another team that is a two seed at the moment, in my opinion, 
is better wins than are better wins than what Houston has right now. And even though Houston has maybe their metrics are a little bit better, I don't mm-hmm. think their top of the line wins are better. And I think in terms of Houston, this is my opinion. Um, if they don't win out the rest of the way, I have a hard time believing uh, that they will get a number one seed. Um, yeah. I just don't think they have the, the quality of games in that league. Um, you know, the, they play Memphis a couple times, which would be solid wins. Um, and, but, you know, other than that, you don't have any wins that really move the needle. And if you lose, it's a problem. And, and the other reason I have Houston off the one line too, is they're the only team that has a quadrant three loss uh, from all the teams in contention. Yeah, strong arguments there. I, I do have a question related to this. You mentioned Houston not having quite as many quality wins. W- what point does it reach, for instance, when you get just a massive quant- of quality wins, like Kansas, for instance, has 12 Q1, Q2 wins. We know they're going to have more and more and more in the Big 12. At what point is the tipping scale when you see Houston probably stopping around 9 or 10? When does it become overwhelming when it's like, okay, your predicted vectors are great, but this team right below you has – X amount of quality wins more than you, Brad. Yeah, and and I think that's why a team like Kansas is going to be in the driver's seat to get a one seat eventually, assuming they go on and and play like we know they're capable of playing. Um, But the Big 12 is the best conference in the country. And and even a team like Baylor, who is creeping up the seed line, uh, they're another team who, in my opinion, you know, one seed is not out of the question when it's all said and done. Not, Not yet. Uh, but I think when you play in a league that has so many opportunities, your chances of getting a one seed are just so much better. Like if you're Houston, you, you need to be near perfect. And they lost, they had that Q3 loss. Um, and it's, it's really going to make things difficult for them. And, you know, it's asking a lot for them to win out and maybe they are capable of being a one seed. But if you look at what, what's been done in the past with Houston's resume a couple of years ago, you know, they finished with three losses, had a very similar resume, had one bad loss, um, had a net in the top five, and they ended up getting a two, uh, a two seed or a three yeah. seed. Three no, seed, it was right? a two seed. I'm sorry, it was a two, two? seed. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Remember that. Uh, that's true. I, I, and I think, you know, from a, a public perspective here, I, I think people would be surprised to not see a Big 12 team on the one seed line given just how dominant that conference has been this season, how the, the depth of it, but Lucas, I guess no one really looks at that, the committee, there's no narratives here, right? Conference play, whatnot. Of course not. Of course. Now I do agree <laughs> when it comes to Houston, I think that the thing that mm-hmm. I've, that I mentioned when I put them on the one line is how good their quality metrics are. And I agree um, with Brad in that, like, it will take a really good finish because if they have another one of those bad losses, it's going to hurt their quality metrics than it will any other team would. Um, so I think that that's the thing that right now they stand there. And I agree that the big 12, um, as it is in pretty good shape to be in that conversation, the other team might even go as far as to mention is Kansas state. The only thing really holding Kansas state back from making a big jump is their quality metrics. And if they continue to dominate really good teams, they're eight and three in quadrants one, two, they're three and two in quad one, a, the quality metrics will get there. They're a team that intrigues me at least as a team that has such a good record already. They built up a lot of goodwill and they have a lot of opportunities down the stretch. I think we're going to see um, definitely a big 12 team on the one line at some point. And I think that that is something that even the committee might do just out of like sheer ease. Like right now it is a true like right now, if you're building a bracket, like it's really easy to go for your one seeds through 16 seeds, put that together. When you, when it comes to building a bracket right now, 
separating the big 12 among top four seed lines is very difficult when you have five teams that are on the two or three line uh you're not allowed to do that yeah yeah that'll be interesting the the old bracket rules come into play here especially when when a conference has so many good teams or similar teams in the same lines right uh all right i want to go to bubble so we're going away from the one seeds we're going right to the bubble talk here the weakest bubble ever, perhaps. Not quite. Not this season. Not until I'm going, March, what, 16th or not, something? Yeah, we still have a lot of time. We got all of February here. I'm going to Brad first for his last four in. Brad, hit me with it. All right, so my last four in right now, uh, Kentucky. Um, they have a solid strength of record for bubble teams. Um, and they won at Tennessee, who many people have as a one seed at the moment. So when you're on the when you're figuring out the bubble, you're trying to figure out things that'll separate you from other bubble teams, and that win over Tennessee is definitely a separator. Um, but by no means are they safe. Uh, big week ahead for them as usual. I know they play at Ole Miss. You know it's it's a game they need to win. Quite frankly, uh, then you have Nevada. Um, they picked up a quality win over New Mexico last week to get into the field. Um, they don't have any bad losses, which is something that is important when you are looking at teams that are on the bubble. They have a solid net, which is top 40, solid strength of record, top 40. Um, and they also have a win over Boise State. Uh, is their resume great? No, not by any means. Uh, they do play in the Mountain West, which seems to be better than it has in past years, providing more opportunities. Um, but right now they are on the right side of the bubble. Uh, next I have is Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh is an interesting team because the metrics say that they're out. Uh, but if you look into their record against quadrants, three and one against high quadrant one teams, three and two against quadrant one teams, seven and six against quadrant one and two teams, and five wins against the field, it just stacks up better than all, all other bubble teams uh, they're competing with right now. They have the wins. Uh, they just... They need to get that their metrics in a better place. Um, so I have them in as my second to last team in. And finally, I have Wisconsin, who is really plummeting by the day. Um, one reason I have them in is because their strength of record is 42, which is still okay enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, six wins against quadrant one and two teams. And the big separator for me is when you look at their wins, their, their best wins are on the road at Marquette and at Iowa, which is better than other teams that are in the mix with them. All right. Yeah. Uh, I saw a question in the chat on Wisconsin. Uh, interesting. We might discuss them a little further here, but I want Lucas's uh, last four in before we do. Yeah. I'm in a relatively similar boat. Kentucky is my fourth to last team in same as Brad. We're in the same spot with Kentucky there. Um, I have Oklahoma creeping into the field now um, after a home win over Alabama, that was just, monstrous i mean there's one thing to beat alabama it's another thing to beat alabama by 24 um (laughs) i I think that that was kind of the thing i think their schedule is still not their schedule their record is still in a difficult spot um to get into the tournament the 12 and 9 overall they're playing in a very very difficult conference which is going to make it even harder to make that um to keep that record afloat but i think that they're a team that right now is sitting in a decent spot um, they have pretty good metrics across the board. Um, they're top 50 in basically everything except the net. Um, they're six and nine in quads one and two, which albeit not great, is somewhat comparable to a lot of other teams on the bubble right now. Um, it's more of that quantity. The four of those six wins are in quad one. Um, as we go to Pitt, Brad already discussed on Pitt. They're three and one. 
um, in, in high quad games. The other thing I'll mention is that Florida State is going to play the ACC schedule the rest of the year. Florida State is Pitt's quad four loss. They're 201st in the net right now. Um, if they climb into the top 160, that Pitt resume is going to look a lot better. Um, if that can get into the into the quad three area. And um, then I finished my last team in the field is Texas A&M. Kind of have decent metrics um, across the board. The top, they're 35th, 35th in average quality metrics, uh, four and four in quads one and two. It's a usually a resume that I would keep on the outside with a quad three and a quad four loss. But as I mentioned earlier, there's just a lot of teams with those kind of losses this year. Going to the consensus bracket, the uh, Field of 68 bracketologist, the consensus uh, mesh of us, Lucas, Brad, Rocco, Andy Bottoms, uh, their last four in should be popping up on the screen momentarily here. This is what the Field of 68 says combined. Kentucky, Pitt, Oklahoma, and Nevada. So both of you guys have a smattering of this of these teams in your field. I don't want to spoil any first four outs here, but we should – Talk Wisconsin really quick. We do have a question from Adam in the chat. Adam in the chat. How much would you ding a team when one of their best wins was against a team missing a key player, i.e. Iowa in this case for Wisconsin? Your thoughts, Brad? I don't know. The, the committee really goes surgical like that down the line into injuries game by game. It seems unlikely to me, but perhaps not. What do you think? I think if that's your only key win, then yes. Okay. Um, but the fact that they, they also won at Marquette, um, I don't think it's really going to matter that much. Um, and, and I get why people would have Wisconsin out right now. Um, you know, their net is awful, uh, 74. Um, I know I mentioned Rutgers a, a little while ago. Rutgers got in um, last year with the net in the mid-70s. Um, did have a much stronger resume, though. But... Uh, you know, right now, and, and to top it off, their predictive metrics are terrible too. So Wisconsin is one bad week away from being out of the first four out. Yeah. Of course, the resume metrics are what determine, right, getting into the field, correct? So correct. even though they're net 74-ish, Lucas, their resume metrics might be good enough to still get into the field, correct? Yeah, I'd agree with that. And the other thing is with the case in point of the win over Iowa, if the if the committee wants to get so surgical as that Iowa game, uh, they're not going to be able to look past going 0-3 without Tyler Wall. Exactly, right? Yeah. You're going to yeah. go as deep as to mention Iowa, a team you played, be having with being without a key player in a win. Uh, you're going to have to mention those games, especially a four-point loss at home to Michigan State without Tyler Wall is a winnable game if mm. he's on the floor. Hey, I always go back to that Notre Dame team when they didn't have Bonzi Colson Bonzi. And, uh, and what, Matty, Matty Farrell? Is that his name? Yeah. And man, if the committee really took that into account, uh, they still don't make the field. So I, I, I have always been skeptical of, of the committee actually doing that. Um, besides Sometimes talking, they throw you a curveball and they pick and choose. Yeah, exactly. Um, don't I think talk- the most talk- parts are pretty consistent. A talking point on those bracket shows, I think the CBS shows, the guy will come on and say why a team is here and here. It's very inconsistent. But I digress. Let's get into the first four out to round out our bubble here. Lucas, start us off with your first four teams out. So for me, Nevada is my first team out of the field. Very late decision to go with Nevada on the outside. I think I think Brad already mentioned they have really good resume metrics. They're top, they're 24th in KPI, 39th in selective record. Um, but overall, they just lack the, the true quality. They're 0-3 in quad one A games and they're two and five in quad one. 
no bad loss is a huge plus. I think that they're kind of a team that without a huge bunch of great opportunities in conference play is going to have to have a really strong um, finish to the year to get in there. And I think part of the thing that comes back for Nevada is they're, they're 129th non-conference schedule. The schedule is a difficult place to sit um, compared to the rest of the bubble. Uh, I think they're just going to have to have some work to do in that regard, but I do think the Mountain West in general is in pretty good shape. Arizona State took a hit for me. They were in the field last week, uh, tough loss. Um, their metrics are all sub 50 right now. They have a quad four loss to their name. They're a team that is is banking on their high quality wins right now, six and six in quads one and two, three of those wins being in quad one. Penn State is a team that I really like to watch, but I obviously can't put that into perspective here, but their metrics are just kind of slightly better than Arizona State. Hmm. Um, and they don't have any bad losses either, which kind of puts them in that same category as as Nevada for me, but with worse resume and better quality metrics. As for Wisconsin, they're my fourth team out. Uh, six and eight in quads one and two is good, but they only have one quad three win. They're under 500 in quads one, two, and three games. Their resume metrics are great. Well, relative to some bubble teams, they're pretty good, mid, mid-40s, mid um, and a pretty poor um, quality metrics in the mid-60s, not to mention being under 500 by a significant amount in road games this year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. They're two away, away from home. Yep. Where would Arizona State be without that San Francisco loss? One has to think. They lost by 40, right? It's gotta gotta do a damper on their uh, on their yes. metrics there. <laughs> uh all right, Brad, let's get your la- uh, first four out before we round it out with our consensus. All right, my first four out. I have Oklahoma. Uh, who I know Lucas has in. Uh, my reasoning for keeping them out, even though they did get the huge win over Alabama in convincing fashion, which is enormous, no question about it. Um, they, When you start to get to the bubble, you start nitpicking. Um, they don't have any wins away from home against at-large teams. Um, so the majority of their wins, their good wins, did come at home. Um, so you want to be a tournament team. You know, You do need to prove at least a little bit that you can win Beat some good teams away from home. Uh, next up, I have Texas A&M. Um, under 500 Q1. They have two bad losses, including a quadrant four loss. And their strength schedule at 54 is a bit worse than a few of the bubble teams. In fact, all the bubble teams that I have in, in my last four in. Uh, Penn State, as Lucas touched upon as well. Um, really like Penn State. And I think they have a number of quality opportunities ahead of them playing in the big 10, you know, including at Purdue later this week. Um, obviously you win that game. We know that puts them squarely in the field for sure. Um, 
they don't have any bad losses, but their strength of record is in the mid-50s, not particularly good, great, and they're 3-5 and five road neutral. And then Arizona State, who's really fallen off the last couple of weeks, only one win against the field. That's against Creighton on a neutral site. Um, and a 64 net, including a quadrant four loss, uh, keeps them out for me at the moment. Brad, let me know if you disagree with me on this, because I think as we've gone through this bubble for yours, ours, mine, and the consensus, as I go through making a field right now, it really feels like we're we're pretty much in general agreement as a consensus, but middle of the 10 seeds through maybe six or seven teams out, it's kind of splitting hairs right now. You can make an argument for anyone from the top of that list to the bottom of that list to be in the field, and it is very close. No question. Yeah. Take a look at what do you do with a team like Boise State? Uh, Boise State is a team. They're seven and four against quadrant one and two teams, which is really good. But they do have a Q4 loss. They have a strong net in the top 25. But who have they beaten? You know, like they're they're a very difficult team to project. And I have them in the field at the moment. I have them as an 11 seed currently. Um, But, you know, people could definitely have them higher based on their their just their metrics. Uh, Yeah. Team. And sticking in the Mountain West, even Utah State right now, it's hard to imagine a team 34th in the net, 32nd in KPI, and we haven't even mentioned them yet in our bubble conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't even have they don't have a quad one win, and they have two quad four losses. Yeah, and I, and I think with me with Utah State is like you said, the two quad four losses and not having any win, wins against the field for me that keeps them out out at the moment. Uh, real quick on Oklahoma, their conference record is two and six. Conference record is not on the team sheet. But at what point does it become impossible to allow a team in with a what, – what is the threshold for conference record, do you think? I guess it starts to affect your actual overall record. But is there a threshold, Lucas, theoretically? If a team was over 500, could they go 5-15 and 15 in conference play and still make the field? You know, I think it's kind of a mood argument overall because mm-hmm. things just kind of battle against each other. If you have such a poor conference record that – it impacts your overall record, you're going to lose. You're not going to make the tournament. And if you have a good enough non-conference record that it backs up a poor conference record, your non-conference strength of schedule is probably terrible. And that will keep you out of the field. Like it just To me, it's just kind of an argument. With, no matter where you go in that, it's there's no perfect middle ground where you can have a poor conference record, like a very poor conference record, and still get in. Something is going to be off there. Right. Yeah, and there, there's no exact science to it, but you kind of look at what, what's been done with the NCAA committee and their history. Uh, four games under 500 in league play, you know, we've seen that a good amount. Um, eight and 12, seven and 11. Um, and, and you look at the Big 12 this year, that's the conference I'm sure you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I could, I could definitely see one or two teams getting in, you know, four games under 500. Once you, once you start to get to five or six games under like Lucas said your your overall record may not be even over 500 um right or you might be hovering around 500 which which the committee will will see as an issue yeah thanks fellas appreciate it thanks for humoring me all right let's go to the field of 68 consensus first four out take a look at that we have Texas A&M Wisconsin Penn State and Arizona State again usual suspects here Real quick, guys, I'll go to Lucas here. Wisconsin versus Penn State. What are the differences here? Give me, a, give me, a, give me a case, argument case for one over the over the other. You have Penn State over Wisconsin, I believe. Yes, I do right now, and it's just because their overall metrics are just significantly better. 
um, if you want to go in that direction. I think Wisconsin's got average resume metrics of 43, Penn State's at 50, um, which is relatively negligible overall. But Wisconsin's quality metrics are in the mid-60s, whereas Penn State's quality metrics are in the mid-40s. Um, and I think overall, Wisconsin has better quality wins, particularly that road win over Marquette stands out there. So they have six quad one plus two wins. Penn State only has four. But if you really want to boil it down to the teams that are solid teams, quads one, two, and three for me, Penn State's nine and seven in those games. Wisconsin's seven and eight. And then uh, uh, text A&M real quick. We have a, a comment in the chat that people are sleeping on A&M. Possibly true. They've been playing a lot better lately. Brad, was it their... Is it their non-conference, the, the losses that are kind of holding them back right now? Obviously, really good in SEC play, but it's the body of work, right? It's the entire season that really matters. It's another example of conference record doesn't matter. You know, they're, yep. they're second place in the SEC, have a strong, strong record, but the quadrant for the bad losses hurts them. Um, and it's really put their strength of record in a, in a not a particularly great spot. Um, their net is improving. They're a team on the rise. They are knocking on the door. They're a week. They're a game or two away from probably one solid win away from being in the field in my field. Uh, but yeah, it's it's the overall resume. It's not what have you done the last two or three weeks. What did you do in November matters matters just as much as what you just did you know last week. Yeah, if you want to talk about a big hinge game coming up, Texas a m at Arkansas, huge yeah. hinge. Game. Texas A&M is my last team in the field right now. They win at Arkansas. They're pretty quickly in the conversation for a single-digit seed because I think that there's not much separating the 9s and 11s right now. And if they lose that game, well, they're right back in the position they were a week or two ago with needing to continue to play really well to get back in the field. It's true, and we, we talk about it a lot, but if you play in a high-major conference, you play in the Big Ten, the Big 12, the SEC, yes. you have the opportunities to go from first team out to a 9 or a 10 seed. Teams in the Mountain West Conference, even though the conference is a little bit deeper, it's gonna, it's a lot more difficult. So, yep. you know, you're you're playing you're playing with fire every time you lose a game. Yep. Well said. Well said. Uh, good segue to our our team hitters. Now we're gonna do some quick team hitters. We discussed Arkansas in the chat. Jacob says, "I love the Arkansas disrespect." Is Arkansas being disrespected? This team's an eight seed right now in bracket matrix. I'm pretty sure you guys have them lower around the same line, maybe. Guys, they have three quality wins. Uh, compared to other teams around them, it's not great. They're 0-5 on the road. They have a Q3 loss. But, Lucas, their predictive metrics are really high, right? They average around 22 predictively. The resume metrics, not too bad. Where do you fall with Arkansas right now? How do you seed a team like that or, or compare them to other bubble teams maybe? I think their resume right now is not very good. And I think an 8-10 to 10 seed is a reasonable prediction to put them at. With that said, we don't – or at least I don't, and I'm assuming Brad does not either. We don't make bracketology predictions um, based on what we think they're going to be in March. They're what they are yeah. as a snapshot. And if you're an Arkansas fan feeling disrespected as an 8 to a 10 seed right now, you're probably right. But frankly, I mean, I think they're definitely a better team than that. And I yeah. think that they're a squad that um, you should look at the bracketology predictions right now and be like, okay, this is about as poor as our record can be, and we're still in the field. Um, and I think that they're a team that's probably going to be the kind of six, seven seed that nobody wants to see in March. Hey, I'll say this as a, as a gambler, as a better, Arkansas is a top 25 team for me in my ratings. They're going to be an eight to 10 seed. Look at the spreads. When those spreads come out, they might be favored over a team that's seated above them. 
it, it right seedings based on your your actual wins, your your resume, not in your predictiveness. Predictiveness is used to seed you mostly, right? If I have that right, bracketologists. I have one question, and Brad, maybe you can help me out with this one. So, in the case of Arkansas, we see them with a KPI of twenty two, strength of record forty four. So resume, those are your two resume metrics. That's a pretty big range. What do you do when you see a range like that? Do you kind of think as one of, as an outlier, the other is an outlier, which do you give more credence to or are you just blanket average it and call it a day? I mean, I think you have, you still have to dig deeper than just looking at the metrics, you know, and obviously what you mentioned before, you know, your, your result-based metrics get you into the field. And once you're in the field, the predicted metrics take over, but there's still other things to look at. And I, and I think looking at, you know, how they perform against high quadrant one teams, quadrant one teams, quadrant one and two teams, you're comparing them to other teams that are in their seed vicinity, you know, and, and who is, who's better. Um, I, I think you're just, you're comparing resumes. And I think that's what the committee does. And you need something that's going to separate you from the team that you're competing against. So I don't think it's as simple as, you know, what their metrics are. I think you have to take everything into account. And I think another thing with Arkansas is they're just so primed to make a run in seeding. And just because they have some blatant negatives that can be so quickly overcome. They're 0-5 in road games this year. Mm. Um, and they still get Kentucky, Texas A&M, mm. Alabama, and Tennessee on the road. Not only would those – they also get South Carolina. But not only would those other ones be road wins, but they're road wins that are just huge leverage games that if you can get them. Um, I think that that's the big thing for me is like they're they're getting held back by not having those really good wins away from home. Well, there's a lot of opportunities left to get them. Speaking think, to the, I'm sorry, yeah, go no, no, say, go another another team you could put similarly in the mix is Creighton, uh, a team who doesn't go. quite have the results there, but their predictive metrics are, are top fifteen. Yeah. You know what do you what do you do with them? They're obviously they were missing Colt Brenner for a few games. They lost to Nebraska. Lost a couple of games they should have won. Um, they're one of they they arguably the best team in the Big East. You can make the argument that they're the best team in the Big East. Maybe not right well, now. Well, maybe when the season is all said and done. Um, so yep. they're going to be an interesting team to, to see. I think they're just going to be moving up and up on you know on a weekly basis. Um, be interesting to see where they end up when it's all said and done. Yeah, Creighton eleventh in Kempom, tenth a ten seed right now in bracket matrix. I guess the, the quality wins holding you back. You have to think Kalkbrenner is in play there. <clears throat> we'll see he what somebody actually does. You're right. Yeah. Um, going back to just net talk in general, I saw an argument on Twitter that I had to bring up to you guys real quick. An so, argument on Twitter? No. An argument on Twitter. Clemson fans, Clemson fans are lamenting that their net is way below St. Mary's net, 58th versus sixth. Why is Clemson, I guess right now, behind St. Mary's in the bracket? And why do you think they're behind St. Mary's so far in the net, despite being 10 and one in the ACC, Brad? They have two quadrant four losses. Uh, first and foremost, uh, nobody else has two quadrant four losses that's trying to get in that large bid. Wow. Now, a lot of people, a lot of t- people that are- You are just, pathology, if there's any Aggie fans in here, you have disrespected Utah State. Oh, okay. Ooh. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. But they're not even in my in my first four out yet. Uh, but but anyway, yeah. So Clemson is leading the ACC. So most people have them as the auto bid from the league. Uh, once they, if they relinquish that, you know that you know that puts Clemson as a team that's 
in the field, in my opinion, but they're they're an interesting team because they they are have they do have great numbers against you know quadrant one, quadrant one and two. Two Q, the two Q four losses really bring them down, and their net is in the high fifties. Uh, playing in the ACC, bottom of that league is not good, so there are opportunities for them to to fall. Um, unlike some leagues um, like the Big Twelve and the Big Ten. Yeah, and Lucas predicted metrics fifty three for Clemson. So if you see them get in the field, they might be by most people's maybe point of view severely underseeded if they end up being top three in the ACC. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the thing I'll say with regards to why Clemson is where it is in the net comparatively to where St. Mary's is, um, I think it comes down to what those what the results really are in terms of quality metrics. I mean, they've had a lot of close wins this year. I know Brad mentioned a quad four, their quad four losses, but they're not just quad four losses. One of them is an 18-point loss, um, which is a huge killer to their metrics. And if you just look at Ken Palm, they went down 18 spots from that loss. Um, and that you compare that to St. Mary's, um, who has had a lot of very nice wins. I think in terms of their losses this season, they haven't lost a single game by more than five. That one five-point loss, the neutral side loss to Houston. Um, they have another loss in overtime. I think that they have just kind of those really good close losses, whereas Clemson's had a little bit more struggle in those games um, overall. I want to go to the chat really quick because we had a question on Oh, gosh, one or two teams, but I maybe have missed it. Oh, no, guys. I'm sorry, guys. I missed the question. But we'll go on a different point here. That's my mistake. That's poor hosting duties on me. I take full responsibility. Kentucky, real quick. I've mentioned the committee a few times here. The biasedness about selecting teams perhaps comes into play when you have a team like Kentucky on the bubble right now. Their resume compared to other teams such as Arizona State, Pitt, Oklahoma, I would say Kentucky's advantage right now over those teams maybe is their resume metrics being slightly better. However, when you look at their actual quality wins, they kind of fall short of those other teams. I guess, Brad, what's the best case for Kentucky right now and why would they be considered more safe, quote unquote, than those other teams that I mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't consider them safe at all. Um, But as I mentioned before, they do have the best overall win. Um, and when you they went on the road at a one seed um, at Tennessee, like they did, that carries a ton of weight. Um, and I think had they not had that win, they're not in the field. They are not in the field right now without that win. Yeah. Uh, so they need to keep winning games, um, ideally adding some more quality wins to their resume. But they have that top notch win that no other bubble team really has. By net standards, they have the single best win of any team in the country. At Tennessee. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's a nobody good... Beat, uh, nobody's beating Houston on the road. That's a By good net. CBS selection uh, selection factor. Hey, didn't, uh, did Alabama beat Houston on the road? Um, Alabama uh, beat Houston on the road, yes. And name. and Rutgers won at Purdue. Something opposite. There you go. Ooh. And All right, okay. tied. So they're, they're not... I was tied across opposite. the board. I was looking at Houston's. My bad. My bad. That's all right. It's it, right. the best get single all day. It, can, it gets mesmerizing. <laughs> Lucas, instead, let's talk about Duke really quick. Brewers fan 1212 in the chat asks, why is Duke being rated so high in brackets? I haven't seen where they're at in bracket matrix. I think they're like a five or a six seed somewhere around there. Probably a six, I think. Six. What's your thoughts on Duke? I mean, they don't really have anything that particularly stands out. They have a pretty straightforward resume to me. 
Um, they don't have a lot of great wins. They're three and six in quad one. They don't have any losses outside of quad one. Their metrics are all between 20 and 40. It, it's a very mediocre, solid, middle-of-the-bracket resume. Yeah, and and for me, I actually have Duke as a seven seed. I'm a so little lower than, than most people. Um, but yeah, they do have a win over Xavier um, on a neutral court, which which is big because, you know, Xavier has been, been really, really good in Big East play. Um, you know, but other than that, they're Duke. So, you know, people say, well, they're Duke, so they should be a better seed, but it doesn't work that way. Um, I think they're probably on the border of a six or a seven seed. There, there's room for growth. They're my uh, top seven seed today. Yeah, but it's, they, they need more. They need more. And, and playing in the ACC, how much more can you actually get? Um, it's, it's going to be, yep. uh, I, I don't see them getting much higher than where they are right now. In the chat, Jacob asks about UConn, a very interesting team to me because I saw this team in Portland for three or four games. And for my money, there is not a better team in the country than UConn's top gear. They beat Iowa state by 18. They beat, uh, Alabama by 15 and it was easy. It, they made the other teams look like they're nothing. However, they have struggled in Big East play. They're still sixth in Kempom. Their predictive metrics are nuts, but they have the 19th best strength of record right now. Brad, what do you do with UConn currently? Where do you have them in your bracket? I currently have them as, a, as my, my top five seed. Um, yeah, so their predictive metrics are so strong. I mean, again, it's the total resume, how they played the first you know, 12 to 14 games of the season. I mean, they weren't just beating them opponents like you had mentioned they were blowing everybody out by double yeah. digits so that carries a ton of weight um you know teams teams have a rough couple weeks you know maybe UConn is turning the page a little bit um but they did so much those wins against Alabama and Iowa State who rarely lose games carry a ton of weight mm-hmm. and then they, they keep them um with a respectable seed and if UConn can really flip the script a little bit and finish strong. They can only move up. Lucas, I want to talk Charleston. We got Glick's picks in the chat here. They just lost to Hofstra. Do they have a case for an at-large if they don't win the CAA currently? I think yes. I don't think they have much of a margin for error because I think right now they're 21-2, if well, 20-2 and two in terms of bracket opinion because we, we negate their win against the non-D1 opponent. But if they just lose one more game and that's in the CAA tournament, they're going to enter selection Sunday with three losses. That is tough to leave out of the field. It just is. They played the schedule they played. They have solid wins. They're going to have a win over Virginia Tech and Kent State that maybe not over the field, but are wins I think that the committee recognizes will be solid. Um, And I think that that, I think a three-loss Charleston team, if they don't get in the tournament, I will be upset. I hope they're in there too. They, they are an impressive team, fun to watch. We'll let the mid-majors in the tournament. Although, Also, I think people are going to underrate that Hofstra is a good basketball team. They're a good team. Yes, they are. I, I'm very against expanding the field, guys. I know we, we don't need to get into that whole thing, but I don't want, I don't want the field extended. But I guess a Charleston would, would get in if we did that. Um, guys, anything to add? I, I'm going to wrap this up around 445. Oh, let's look at games to watch this week real quick. And if you guys see something in the chat, let me know. We can go back to a particular team. But – I just want to highlight a few of these important matchups to look at as we head towards the bubble here. West Virginia is a team we have not touched on. They're at TCU this week, I believe tomorrow on Tuesday. 
tomorrow night, nine o'clock. No Mike Miles, no Eddie Lampkin, maybe for TCU. Brad, is it discount a West Virginia win here? Are they? Uh, how do you, how do you look at them? I guess differently if they win this game. We'll say that. Maybe slightly, but hey, a road win is a road win when it's all said and done. And West Virginia, they need they need wins. That's just what they need. They just need wins. They're two and six in league play. Um, got a big win over Auburn this weekend. Um, but they're the rest of their metrics are really solid. But they're they're that team that could finish four games under 500 and still get into the field. Um, I think a win at TCU would be very, very big for them, regardless of who's playing. Um, and it's it's unfortunate for TCU. They've dealt with injuries, you know, different parts of the season. They have a Q4 loss, you know, with a couple of guys out. Uh, but if you're West Virginia, you got to take advantage of it. This is how this is how you boost your resume. Yeah, I about- agree. West Virginia is a team that, as a personal preference, I have a strong dislike for teams that are below 500 in quadrants one, two, and three games combined, and that's where West Virginia stands right now. There's seven and eight in those games. Uh, they have six quad four wins. So I think, you know, a win at TCU not only gives them a road win in their pocket over a top five or six seed, uh, maybe even a top four seed, depending on where you are on TCU, uh, it also would give them an even 500 record against the top three quadrants. Texas A&M goes to Arkansas. This is a couple teams we talked about in depth already. Arkansas fans being disrespected. This win goes a long way, I think. If you if you beat A&M, you, you hold serve at home court on your home court. If you lose, though, Lucas, I think you can get pretty nervous if you're an Arkansas Razorback fan. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that the other thing I'd say about a win is if you're remotely concerned as an Arkansas fan about making the field, which that's up to you, um, a win over Texas A&M is also a win over a bubble team. We got Tennessee at Florida. We want uh, uh, Andrew in the chat wants to talk about Tennessee. Tennessee's great. Fantastic team. They have the best defense in Kempom in its site history. That's a long time. They also have the best three-point percentage allowed in history by a significant margin. You could argue that is good defense. You could argue it's a little bit of luck. I'm going to say it's a bit of both. Tennessee's fantastic. I'm a huge believer in this team. Uh, Rick Barnes, not a great tournament history. Small sample size theater for sure, but that's always going to be something over his head until he gets it done. But they're at Florida, Brad, this week. Florida, how close are they to the field for you? How much work do they need to do to get in or be considered? I mean, the, the, their net is in a decent spot right now. Um, they're definitely in the in being considered at the moment. They're not, you know, I wouldn't even say they're in the my first eight out. Um, but you beat Tennessee. Now you're 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 in the mix of what just happened with Texas A and M, who just got a big win. And all of a sudden, you you know you, you're creeping closer to first four out, and their metrics are pretty solid, um, which could put them right there in the field. And like we said earlier, if you're in one of these high major leagues and you get the opportunity to face a number one seed, you get that win. It's a game changer. Lucas in yeah, the chat I, real quick. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I think Florida, Florida's not in my first eight out first eight out either, but they are in my yeah. first 10 out first 10. Um, I think they're nine or 10 right now. I think the thing for Florida is I think the next three games decide the season. Um, quite frankly, I know it's early to say that they're one and seven yeah. in quad one. They're one and two yeah. in quad two, two and nine overall. They need quality wins. And this is the chance they get Tennessee at home, Kentucky on the road, Alabama on the road. Outside of that, they don't have a whole lot of – I think they only have two more really quality games the rest of the season. 
Um, so I think this this is the time where they have to get at least one or two of these games. And that's that's much easier said than done, but I think that's their chance. Yeah, and two and nine against quadrant one and two opponents is bad. Let's be honest. Yes, that's yeah. Not great. I like Todd Golden, but didn't get it done this year. Uh, Bear Down Cats in the chat says, no way Mountain West gets three teams in. Lucas, if you had to put a percentage on Mountain West getting three teams in, what would you say? What would you peg it at? Hmm. Three Mountain West teams. Well, I think San Diego State already gives you one. Boise's in. I think they're pretty locked. Boise, I think, is in good shape. Hmm. Mexico. I think it's over 50%. I'd say four is in play. More well, definitely in play. I would say for three, I think it's over fifty percent. Yeah. Okay. If if I had to put an average, I would might even go as high as three and a half. I'm going. I would, I would agree with that. I would say New Mexico, San Diego State, and then either Nevada or Boise State will end up getting in. I would agree. Maybe both. With, with I think it's a league that's not super top, super top, super top heavy, but teams I think they're in the field. Like San Diego State mm-hmm. is probably going to be in the six or seven seed range which is winnable for a bid stealer. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Good point. They actually, uh, they play on the road against uh, Nevada coming up this week. Another big game uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, that could definitely pad Nevada's resume. But uh, last one here, Oklahoma state goes to Oklahoma. We didn't really talk about Oklahoma state, their resume, not too bad a shape, but I feel like it's sort of like Oklahoma's right. They, they just need to start racking up wins, Brad, in the big 12. Yeah, they need wins. Um, two and six against quadrant one teams, four and eight against quadrant one and two teams. If you pile up some more wins in the Big 12, you're going to move into the field because everybody's good. You know, even Texas Texas Tech, who's not winning any league games, you know, they're still bordering, bordering of uh, top 75 in the net. Um, so, yeah, you need to win games and you'll get yourself in the field. All right, guys, that does it for us at Fielding the 68. The full bracket is going to be tweeted out from the Field of 68 handle after the show. Stay tuned for that. Again, that is a conglomeration of Lucas, Brad, Andy, and Rocco's brackets all put together lovely by our producer, Dagan. Uh, We'll be back on Friday. That's our cadence, Mondays and Friday shows for this. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on Friday. Good luck watching the games. They're fun, exciting. I love it. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.